You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Uh, you know, I want to start with uh, honor, and uh, there's one person I just want to honor, which uh, I do typically on this service each year, but it's very intentional, and that is my mother. <laughs> I'm going to start crying. Um, yeah. I was, uh, I was with um, Pastor Suresh, who most of you heard from a few weeks ago when he was here visiting I was, when I was just on my trip, and he said, you know, Jordan, I'm so thankful uh, that I got to come and be around River House, but he, he emphasized to me again what he shared while he was here, and he said, you know, every time I'm in prayer, he said, God shows me, he's like, your mother is the backbone of this church, and he said, and this church is God's favor to your mother, and he's like, and I saw it. And I said, yeah, you, you saw right. And uh, I, d- I tell my mom this privately, and I want to tell it in front of all of you, that um, she is the heart, and I get the privilege of being the mouth, of, of articulating what she's fought for with her life. And so I honor you. I carry you inside of me, and I am your fruit and the embodiment of the message that you laid your life down to see. And it's my joy and my honor to carry you and, and to see your legacy. So thank you. I could, uh, I could spend this whole night uh, honoring individuals that have played a huge role in my life personally, uh, in the life of this church in a significant measure, and you know who you are. And so thank you for saying yes to Jesus and serving his bride and seeing her uh, lifted up and seeing this local expression of the bride of Jesus Christ come from uh, the little seed that it was to what we're uh, experiencing here today. It's a fulfillment of promise, and we are literally uh, walking and living and experiencing the fulfillment of promise because everything that Riverhouse is was started as little tiny promises that were sowed in obscurity. And we're now seeing the manifestation that God is who he says he is. And he is, is faithful and does greater and more abundant than anything that we can ask or imagine. And I believe that this is still just the beginning. But before we look forward, I, I do want to look backwards because there's something significant about remembering and remembering where we came from and remembering who God is and remembering the story that he's writing amongst uh, this, this church, uh, this River House uh, movement that we just saw that amazing video. Isn't it hilarious that the sign broke? I was like, I don't know if that's prophetic or just funny and God's laughing, but regardless, I think it's kind of a kind of River House, you know? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, this started as a seed in my heart and... Um, my mother's heart and my brother's heart and a number of other people's heart long years before this ever became anything. And it was a joy to watch it go from a seed to uh, our first kind of actual meeting. It was 10 people in a backyard of someone that we did not know, stranger's backyard to me. And uh, that was our first prayer meeting of what Riverhouse was, and that was in June of 2016. 
And uh, we then uh, started, like, you know, meeting uh, kind of open people. We moved to a living room of someone we do know, which was Jody and Casey Miller. And it grew from 10 to like 50 in their little living room. And we were like, hey, we got to find a solution here. This house church thing's not going to work much longer because it was August and it was like 105 degrees outside. And I think it was hotter inside. And then uh, we moved from there to a dance studio down on Main Street uh, across from the Red Lion. You guys familiar with it? I'm guessing not a lot of you were there because you can't fit in there. And uh, those are the good old days because there were mirrors on all the walls so I could see myself preach from about eight or nine different angles. <laughs> you know, that's really what I credit when I learned a lot about being a public speaker is I was like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like the middle of your message. You're like, I look terrible right now. <laughs> so went, went from, uh, you know, the dance studio and we got really crammed in there, but we were there for about three months and then we had our, our birthday service on, uh, you know, this weekend of 2016, and that was when Hill City Church graciously opened up their arms to us. We didn't know what we were gonna do, and God provided. And we've had the joy of getting to worship in that sanctuary for the last three years, and now, uh, you know, we grew that to three services, and now we're here. And apparently, we're gonna need to do more charity <laughs> next week. Just joking, we can keep it right here for a while. Transition's awesome, but transition is growing pains, too. You know, so, uh, you know, the external growth, our first budget, we laugh about this all the time uh, on the leadership team, our first approved budget, which was for like a six or seven month period, was $13,000. <laughs> that's like not funny to you, but that's hilarious to me. Like $13,000, when I had to turn it in for like the IRS certification of our 401c, the, the, the attorney looked at me, he's like, well, apparently no one's planning to get rich off this thing. And I was like... I'm actually believing in faith for $13,000 this year. <laughs> oh, man. I remember buying the first church printer at Costco, stressed if we had enough money to afford the little office printer so that I could print off the bulletins in my living room each week and then hand cut each one of them. <laughs> And we didn't have a projector, so we also had to print off the worship lyrics and hand all the lyrics to everybody as they were walking into the dance studio where you could see me preach from nine different angles. <laughs> and we've grown to where, you know, watch the staff uh, seamlessly transition to spaces like this. You know, we can honor the staff. They've worked their butts off, and particularly... Uh, he's not in here. Jamie's with the kids tonight, Pastor Jamie, but he has given above and beyond what you could ever ask of someone. And so just know a lot of why this seems like we're just, uh, everything's under controls because of all the hours that he put into this. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I've watched us grow from a group of friends, acquaintances, and then even a lot of strangers come in. And I've watched us grow into becoming family. And that's been beautiful to watch. You know, I watched us go on a missions trip that I had no idea how to plan uh, with like 20 people in the church that's now birthed a, a global missions movement that we're seeing uh, sweep across uh, Asia. And I, I'm in awe of what I have seen God do, the growth that I have watched, the external change and transformation that we've seen in three years People have asked me, you know, did you see this happening? And I said, absolutely, I did. I wouldn't have done this if I didn't see this happening. But I absolutely did not see it happening this quickly. I thought it would take a little bit longer. 
Um, you know, and, and it's easy sometimes to focus on the external things, but I felt just led to share some of my own internal growth that I've had over the last few years and hopefully to ponder some of your own reflections for those of you that have been here for, you know, three years or three months or any length of time. Uh, but I've, I've learned a lot about true spirituality and what it takes to bear fruit. You know, when you're, when you're uh, in the same community with the same people day after day, you find out, like, what's fluff and what's not. You know what I mean? There's some things that initially look like they're so awesome. I'm like, oh, that actually doesn't, that doesn't do much. Like, that's, that's fluffy. That's not that's superficial. Uh, true spirituality is grounded in relationships, and it bears fruit, and it brings transformation. And I've learned a lot about how to, how to have a grounded spirituality that's incarnational. Uh, I've learned how to minister in the spirit, and I've grown as a preacher of the word. And I really want to honor all of you and thank you for that because it's been an opportunity uh, to, to go from a place of relative immaturity uh, as far as experience and years in the pulpit. And I've changed, and I've found God in the gospels and in the word, and I've seen him do things in a room that I take with me everywhere I go. And I feel like I get to be a transporter of uh, of, of the environment that we are creating, because I don't see any sermon on Sunday as just me. It's you and us worshiping God, and he's given me a gift, and you've pulled on that gift, and your faith, and your worship, and your hunger have created an environment for me uh, to, to experience and grow myself. And so I wanted to thank you for that, but I've thanked God for the growth. Uh, I, I've seen, uh, I've had so many opportunities to grow in trust, face my fears, and, and see God show up and, and reveal that he is faithful to who he is. And probably more than anything, I've learned a lot about love, covenant, and sacrifice. And I went from loving the vision of this church to loving this church, truly loving this church in a deep place in my heart. Uh, the covenant that it requires to give of yourself to a people has confronted my fear of missing out, has forced me to abandon the escape pods um, that you always want to have when the times are tough and that there's greener pastures elsewhere. And God again and again and again, is, this is what covenant looks like. This is what faithfulness is. And it's, it's transformed my life as I've abandoned and just said, yes, God, I'm here and I'm here to love. And I've learned a lot about sacrifice and that true joy comes from self-emptying. And ministry is not about getting filled and about some sort of platform that makes you feel great about yourself. But there is the deepest joy that comes when you truly get to the point where you can just serve people. And I've learned that because of this community. This community has taught and discipled me. Even though I'm the shepherd, I also am the sheep. And I'm learning and walking as we're following Jesus together. There has been so much growth and so much change, and I know that we could probably have a testimony service. Am I right? And you could come up person by person, and we could give glory to God for what he's done. And the deep things and the treasures are what happens on the inside. And so if you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to, to spend time reflecting and remembering and giving glory to God. Because where we've come from, it's still prophesying to where we're going. God has been faithful to us. And although so much has changed, a lot has remained constant. And we have stayed, you know, with the same vision, and I don't think it'll ever change, that we want to see our city become like heaven. I have a dream, and I believe it's the dream of God that he's put in my heart and put in our heart collectively, 
that he actually wants to bring tangible transformation to a city that the kingdom of heaven can invade and bring individual and institutional redemption so that Boise, Idaho becomes a thin place where heaven is invading in the streets and the business and the marketplace, that we will be a people that are so grounded and know in prayer and his presence and so deeply connected to him. Thank you. See, things don't change. That's the other thing. I just have a bigger table so I can get more tissue up here and you can't see it. <laughs> but a people of his presence that take his presence to the streets of our city and bring transformation, tangible transformation that even, uh, you know, the world begins to notice. In Boise, it is as it is in heaven, and we're going to do that through, uh, through living lives of prayer, family, and mission. Uh, it's been the same. It's been the same message. And... Uh, you know, we are a, a grassroots people movement, choosing the path of downward mobility, confidently following Jesus, our leader, who's convinced that we have what it takes to change the world. And we're never going to change that. We're going to stay true to who we are because Jesus has given us a call, and we're embodying that call. And truly, we've fought to stay true to this call. And I uh, am very, very expectant of what God has in store. Uh, you know, when you plant a tree takes three years before the tree even bears mature fruit. And so truly, I believe that the days of mature fruit bearing are in front of us. They are not behind us. And that God has been doing a work of laying a foundation, and you are the foundation. The foundation is the yes that you've given to Jesus. It's the moments that we've had in his presence. It's the, the covenants that we've made between our heart and his. It's the commitments we've made to one another. It's how we've chosen to become family. It's how we've chosen to honor one another when we start seeing each other's flaws. It's how we fought through the offense, fought through the difficulties, fought through the missed expectations and the disappointment, and persevered through these things. And God has been forging us into a people, a house of God, a, a, a priesthood, that can carry the Shekinah, and not just on a Sunday, but then take it out on a Monday through a Saturday in our world. And the foundation is being laid, and I believe that we're in a transitional period where God is now taking us, and we're going to begin seeing fruitfulness at a, from a, a matured fruitfulness that we have yet to see. And so uh, we, we, we want to remember where we've been, but we also want to look forward to where we're going and I believe that we're uh, ushering into a season, and this is the, the word that the Lord put on my heart, uh, into knowing Jesus as the resurrection and the life. Jesus, the resurrection and the life. So I, I'm just gonna pray, and then we're gonna open the word of God, and I'm gonna share, honestly, just a short message that I think speaks to where we're going and cast vision for what Jesus is doing. He is the leader of Riverhouse. We're a people movement following Jesus Christ who is convinced he can change the world. And he just says, follow me. And I believe he's entering us into a new season, external changes, but also uh, internal spiritual uh, implications for what this means. So Jesus, we thank you that you're in this room. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your leadership. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, God, and we worship your faithfulness. And we also want to look forward with eyes of faith and hope to what you've yet to do. God, from one degree of glory to another, we thank you that you've brought us together and that you haven't just brought us together flippantly, but you've brought us here for a purpose. God, and that is to multiply your kingdom and to raise up suffering people in this city, in this valley, and across the nations. 
God, it is your favor given to us for the sake of a dying planet. We thank you that you are doing such a deep work in us, God, and you are preparing us for a deep work through us. God, we want to know you and your resurrection power and see your kingdom come. And so we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 14. Just going to read a few verses and have a, a, a real simple message tonight. We'll start in verse 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, say that, believes in me. Say it louder. It's kind of cool. You guys are a big crowd. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He really wants us to get that last verse in our heart, and so he repeats it three times, and I'm actually just going to read it real quickly. He says again in John 16, verse 23, truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. And then again, uh, he says it in John verse 17. No, I skipped a verse. He says it again. That's John 16. He also says it in John 15. He says, uh, if you keep, there we go, John 15 verse 7. I can't even use the jet lag from last week, you know. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. <laughs> All right, Jesus is trying to get something deeply, deeply embedded within the heart of his believers, which is if you ask for something in my name, I'm going to give it to you. But it all predicates on the fact that we need to believe in him. We need to believe that that's actually true. And there's a difference between believing in our head and believing in our heart. And so I'm just going to turn a few verses back to a story that we're all very familiar, which is the story of Lazarus. And we know the story. Lazarus is sick. Jesus hears about it. It says because he loved Lazarus, Mary, and his sister Martha, he stayed there a few days longer so that Lazarus could be good and dead by the time that Jesus gets to him. Right? Love sometimes doesn't look like love on the outside, right? Love is, uh, you know, not as simple as we think sometimes, but he loved them, right? And he comes uh, uh, four days late by Martha and Mary's timeline to the scene of the morning. And uh, when he gets there, Martha comes to him, and I believe that Jesus, these, these promises I just read about asking for anything in his name, this was language that he probably used throughout his ministry because we see that as Martha comes to him, she actually quotes this promise to him, and she says in verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give to you. 
Right, so she's quoting the promise to him. She's quoting what Jesus has, has told her or she has heard or picked up from his ministry. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha replies, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So Jesus is a great multitasker. I believe he is coming to raise Lazarus in this story, but he's actually also concerned about discipling everyone involved, most notably Mary and Martha. And Jesus is coming to actually confront the unbelief of Martha. She knew the promise, but she did not believe the promise. So Jesus speaks to her. He prophesies to her, I am the resurrection, and God in the flesh is coming to raise a dead man from the grave. And he says, do you believe this? And she quips with an intellectual response that I believe is symbolic of what a lot of people in the church today also say. Yes, I believe you. Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. It's like the most milk toast answer ever. Oh, yeah, 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 I believe you, Jesus. Right? She believed in her head. She didn't believe in her heart. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to confront this. And he confronts this unbelief in Martha. And I believe he wants to confront in each one of us here because I think it's key. He has to confront our unbelief because what did he say in John 14? If you believe in me, you will do greater works. If the if in that whole statement, the if to greater works is if you believe so he comes to Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection? You sing it, you say it, your head resonates with this sound that seems like that's good, but do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Yeah, Jesus, I believe. So then he goes, he sees Mary, Mary's weeping, he weeps. And then Jesus, verse 38 Again, being deeply moved within, he came to the tomb, and the stone was lying against the tomb, and then Jesus blows up Martha's unbelief with three words, remove the stone. Remove the stone. Three words, but he confronts the unbelief head on, and what does she say? No, it'll stink. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe me? Yes, I believe you. Remove the stone. It will smell like death and decay. Discrepancy. He exposes Martha's discrepancy. She professed belief in her head, but her heart did not believe. And the reason remove the stone confronts the unbelief is because to remove the stone requires two things. One is it requires a lot of effort, and two, it requires risk. You have to risk your heart. You actually have to, to let your emotions hope. You have to actually put yourself in a vulnerable place that it might smell on the other side when that stone gets rolled away because the man had been dead for four days, right? But if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection, it's okay. You're, you're, you'll get into the stench of death sometimes. You're gonna have to put yourself in vulnerable situations sometimes. And Jesus is confronting Martha's unbelief. If you believe me, 
do you believe me? And so he replies to her, he said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they removed the stone. God is looking for faith. Jesus said himself, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is like a diamond. And Jesus loves faith more than all you women love diamonds. <laughs> He's just looking for a little and it makes his heart light up. He's looking for faith. And I am the resurrection and the life. But if we believe he's the resurrection and the life, we have to be willing in response to the word of Jesus to exert effort and to risk the vulnerability of our hearts. To put ourselves in places where we're confronting the death and the decay and the brokenness of the world. Remove the stone. We have to be willing to remove the stone. You know, I think sometimes that we, what we hyper-spiritualize faith, and it's like, I'm going to have this moment of inspiration, and I'm going to feel resurrection power from the earth channeling up through my, you know, like I'm a transformer, like Iron Man or something, right? It's like this superhuman faith, when that is not what it is. Faith is a, a response to the word of God that says, I believe you. I think of Noah. How much effort did Noah have to exert in faith of what God had spoken? Right? It wasn't like he just was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to build the ark in 24 hours now on a spiritual high. Right? Think, no, I want to like literally think about this. Think of the amount of time it would have taken for Noah to build that ark and think of the depth of vulnerability. Think how many times he probably questioned, is this rain really coming? Is the storm really going to happen? Right? He actually had to exert months and months worth of effort just all the while experiencing the vulnerability before he could get to the point to see if it was actually going to be fulfilled or not. Right? You, you, like, I think of entrepreneurs. Right, this would be a modern. Like, entrepreneurs, you realize they invest time, effort, money that is so great all the while experiencing this great risk for something that statistically will fail. Like the stats are the, the vast majority of entrepreneurial endeavors fail, right? There's something about faith, right? God is looking for faith. And if we believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we have to be willing to respond in faith. We have to be willing to remove the stone. Remove the stone, right? If, if we have faith, we will act on the command, right? Noah built the ark. Abraham, what did he do? He took all of his flocks, all of his family, and he actually left for a foreign land. How many times do you think he doubted? How many times he didn't feel comfortable, right? You have to sacrifice your comfort on the altar of faith. It will demand it because faith is uncomfortable. It requires a lot of effort and it requires a lot of vulnerability and risk. There's no other way around it. You will never see a dead person raised if you won't remove the stone and be willing to get into the stench of it. Never. You will never see the sick healed if you won't reach out and pray for them, ever. You will not see the miraculous provision of God if you will not act in a way that says you are my provider. We have to be willing to remove the stone Faith is tangible. Faith has actions. You can't just say, I believe God. I believe that you're my healer. I believe you're my provider. And then live in a way that doesn't reveal that. Faith 
Faith is real. Faith is embodied. People of faith remove the stone. And Jesus is so determined to reveal himself as the resurrection and the life to a dying world that he will relentlessly, and I believe that we are entering a season where Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He wants to flow through in you, in you, through you and me into our city to bring individual and systemic transformation. I believe that we are entering into a season of endeavors, of stepping out, that God is going to speak. I want you to step out and do this. This. I want you to go here. I want you to start this business. I want you to have a child. I want you to start a family. I want you to propose. I want you to do these things. I believe Jesus is going to invite us and say, do you believe who I am? Then remove the stone. And I believe the little Martha inside of all of us is going to go, What's no, it might smell bad. What, what if there's not enough money? That doesn't make sense. This, this is not, that's not what Wall Street tells me. God's saying, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And the reason that he invites us to remove the stone is because he's a good dad. He is so committed to a co-laboring relationship. He doesn't want us to stay little kids. Because right? when you're little, your parents do everything. Sometimes my mom still says she does everything, so I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> when you're little, you, you're not expected to do everything, but there comes a point of maturation where Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I have demonstrated who I am, but now there is a realm that I want to enter into together, but it's, it's not until you can partner with me. You can grow up. This is what I mean by mature fruit bearing. Jesus said, hey, you've, you've seen me. I'm. I've been with you, I've revealed myself to you, but I believe that this is a year of, 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 of entrance. It's a year of like demarcation from what was into what is. It's a year of maturity, it's a year of growing up, and I believe that there are significant moments for everyone in this room that are coming in the season that we're being ushered into and discipled into by Jesus, where he's gonna bring us to these crux. He's gonna, he's gonna confront our unbelief and say, are you, do you believe? Do you believe? And it's gonna require a lot of effort it's gonna require a lot of faith. It's gonna require in embracing vulnerability on a sustained level. Like living in a financially vulnerable place for months, if not longer, right? Like in embracing things that are not comfortable to you only because you believe that he is who he, is, who he says he is. And I believe that that obedience, that embodied faith by this community will remove the stone, right? Because the only thing that is interfering, Jesus the resurrection and the dead Lazarus in the tomb, Jesus saying, I want you to help me. I want you to get the stone out of the way so that the voice, my voice, can reach those dead bones and raise them up, right? Jesus is wanting to raise up a valley of dry bones, but there's a stone in the way, and that stone will be moved by your faith and by my faith, when we step up, we exert the effort, we embrace the vulnerability and the risk, the little risk, the big risk, the saying hi to the person, the reaching out, the individual risk, the big risk, the financial risk, the systemic risk, whatever it is, there are things that Jesus is inviting us to. And when we say yes, the stone gets moved and the voice of Jesus, the resurrection, will touch the dry bones, and we will get to be a partner with Jesus in bringing his kingdom to the earth. That's what we were created for.
if we want to see the dead raised in the greater works, we have to move the stone. Amen? And this is the coolest part, and this is where I'm going to end. I know it's a long service, but it's, it's like appropriate on a birthday, right? If we finished early, you'd be like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what followed the greater work that Jesus performed with Lazarus is that Mary came and entered into a realm of worship that we'd never seen in the entire Bible. She responded because the works of God reveal the glory of God. Mary saw the glory of God. She took that nard, she poured it at the feet of Jesus, wiped it with her feet, and the whole house was filled with fragrance. What started with a fear of the stench led to an incredible fragrance of Christ that filled the whole room. And I believe that we're entering into Jesus the resurrection and we're gonna see resurrection power, but we're also gonna enter into a realm of worship that we've never seen. An extravagant, intimate, abundant worship where we offer ourselves in response to the revelation of who Jesus is as the resurrection and the life. And so I believe these are exciting days. This is a, an exciting night but not just in itself, because it's actually prophesying to something more, and God is opening a door. He's inviting us into a place of mature, co-laboring relationship to see his power and to worship him like we've never worshiped him before, and that is what we were created for, right? Intimacy and, and, and transformative power bearing fruit in our lives, right? There is nothing too dead for the power of Jesus to touch. There is no marriage too broken. There is no addiction too strong. There is, there is nothing. There is no social issue too great. There's, there's nothing that the resurrection, he is the resurrection and the life. And my dream, my desire, and where I wanna go together is that we get to the place where Jesus looks and says, Riverhouse Church believes that. They believe that. I want Jesus to look at us and say, that is a church of great faith, because if we are a church of great faith, we will see mountains move, amen? So I'm gonna just invite you to stand. Jesus, we love you. We love all your ways, and we just declare your name, that you are the resurrection and the life. God, we desire to respond in faith, and I thank you God, for the grace that you are, are depositing upon us as a community. We thank you for the authority you are exercising and leading us. And I ask, God, that you will confront unbelief in each one of our lives, God. Confront the, the discrepancy between what we profess with our minds and what we embody with our hearts, God. Confront it, God, with a divine invitation to partner with you to see your transformative resurrection life flow through our obedience to see dead things come to life, God. We look out to our city. God, we, we call forth to all the dead places in this land, and we say, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. God, we're ready to move the stones. God, we're ready to obey you. We're ready to face the, the, the potential of getting wound up in the stench of life because we believe we're gonna press in and we're gonna see the fragrance as we behold you as for who you are, as Jesus our resurrection and Jesus our life. And we pray these things in your powerful and your mighty name and all God's people say, Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.